Welcome in to MCC, whether you're here in person with us or you're watching online, it's awesome to be with you guys today. Y'all doing all right? Online folks, y'all doing good over there on the other side of the interwebs? I hope you're doing great. Uh, if it's your first time here with us, whether you're first time in person or your first time uh, joining in online, we're so thankful you take some time out of your weekend and be here with us. Hey, if you're watching online, go ahead and do this for me. Uh, you, you can go ahead and like and then comment and then share this thing out uh, because what we're going to be talking about today, I believe, is a topic that we all kind of need to lean into in here. Uh, the world is a crazy place, and what we're going to be talking about today, I think, will help us make it a little less crazy. Anybody can do with a little less crazy in their life? Yes, Lord. Less crazy would be great. Hey, before we dive into today's message, I want to talk to you about something that is also going to be happening on September 27th. How many of you guys remember this crazy little thing we did called Backyard Baptism Bash last year? Yeah, it's pretty awesome. We baptized like 25 people and had an amazing party, really good food, and a giant water slide. I mean, giant water slide, okay? So, I don't know about you, but I miss stuff like that. And what we're going to do on the September 27th is we're going to do something very, very similar. Now, I know you're like, ooh, Lord, I ain't about to go to no potluck. I ain't trying to get that COVID. Um, Potato salad is bad enough. You don't want contaminated potato salad. But what we're going to do is we're going to bring out some food trucks. And we're going to have kind of like a a food truck party. We're going to still do some stuff out there for kids to be able to have a really great time. And we're also going to be baptizing people on September 27th. So if you've made a decision to follow Christ, um, come and talk to me after the service. We'd love to get you plugged in and signed up for that. It's going to be an awesome day, another one of those times for us where we're able to gather together. Now, if you're watching online, maybe one of the things you've been a little bit intimidated back is like, I don't want to come back and be in this enclosed space and sit in this chair that somebody else's butt sat on. And, and I'm, I'm nervous about that. Our hope is that this may be you know, an opportunity for you to still be able to see some people that you miss. Because we'll, we'll all be outside. You'll be able to keep your space. And this may be a chance for you to be able to come back. Because here's the deal. We miss you. We miss seeing you in person. I know we're kind of seeing each other like this. But we miss you. And we, we pray that God's with you where you're at. But we do, do, in fact, miss you. Let me pray and we're going to dive in. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you meet us in the midst of our loneliness. You meet us in the midst of our storms. You meet us in the midst of anger and fear. And I don't know what everybody walked in here with, God. But I imagine there's some troubled hearts. I'd imagine there's some cold hearts. And I imagine, God, there's some hearts that are just kind of like, I'm going through the motions. And I pray, Jesus, today we would open our hearts and we would turn them to a place where your word can have a connection, can make a difference, can let us walk out of here or log off, never the same. In your name, amen. I'm going to start out today how I like to start out, by asking you a big question, all right? How many of you know somebody right now who's angry? Anybody know anybody who's angry? Anybody online angry? You just know somebody who's kind of angry right now. Like, it sounds like more and more in this season that we live in, if you are not, like, on watching Fox News or you don't have a Facebook, like, that's probably, like, the only way that you have no idea, like, or you're not encountering somebody who's kind of angry. But it seems like we're in this season of life where it is as if there has never been any time in our existence where people have been quite this angry. We're angry about all sorts of different things. Now, let's make it a little bit more personal because I have felt like in this season... And I don't know, maybe I'm just the only one, but I'm going to be take my pastor mask off and kind of let you in on real life stuff here. I have felt like in this season, my fuse has gotten shorter. I have felt like in this season, for I don't know what it is, but I'm more prone to agitation. I'm more prone to frustration, and I'm more pl- prone to actually like blowing up. And maybe I'm the only one who's honest enough to admit that, and maybe you are too. But I don't know what it is about this season 
But for a lot of us, it, it seems like we're more and more on edge. We're in the series called Due to Unforeseen Circumstances. And, and these unforeseen circumstances has kind of been the theme of 2020. And I think that actually has something to do with so much of the anger we feel and we see and experience. Because here's the deal, and you know this about your own life. We all, to some extent, can run into things that we didn't see coming. You know, we have those, you know, tire blows out or, you know, kid poops their pants in church. We all have experienced those things that we did not see coming. Whether it's COVID, whether it's racism, that we, had, we, we thought we were better than that. We thought we were different than that. We've, we've had these things in this season where we have experienced a lot of things that, man, we didn't see that coming. Now, I think we're all kind of equipped to handle a few I didn't see that comings. But when you keep getting pounded and pounded and pounded by things that you didn't see coming, it is no wonder why we are more on edge than it seems like we ever have been. And over the course of 2020, you guys have seen this. We've seen anger lead to a lot of bad things. And so it begs this question, like, if we are followers of God, how should we respond to anger? Is there a way where anger could actually lead to something good? It almost seems weird to ask that question. Can anger lead to something good? Today what we're going to look at is a story where Jesus actually creates this unforeseen circumstance for thousands of people there. And it's a circumstance that's created because of his anger. This is a story that's going to be kind of unlike the Jesus that you may have had in Sunday school. But I believe that as we look at this story, we can see how to be angry. What to be angry about. And how God can use the emotions and the feelings that we have to actually bring healing. If you got a Bible, I would invite you right now to go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. If you're a kid in the room, I want you to know, or you're a kid watching online, uh, today as you're turning there, let me just fill in a gap a little bit here. Uh, you're listening for three animals, all right? Three animals. They're gonna, there's probably going to be more than three because I love animals. But there's going to be three. All right. You ready? Everybody there? If you're not there, say, woo. Oh, just one woo. Okay. We're not going to wait on you. Um, I love you, though. Let me, before we dive into this, let me explain something to you that's one of the most oftentimes, like, questions that we get as pastors in regards to anger is, is it a sin to be angry? Okay? Like, we've all, we all ask, is it a sin to be angry? And here's how I would answer this. Simply put. No, it is not a sin to be angry, but it's very close. Let me explain what I mean by this verse. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Paul's writing to a church, people like me and you, and he says, In your anger, do not sin. Let's all say that together. Everybody ready? In your anger, do not sin. You need it one more time. In your anger, do not sin. So, what I mean by that, is he, if he says, in your anger, do not sin, that means that there is a way to be angry and to not sin, right? But we all know whew, <laughs> that while it is not a sin, it can very fast, probably more than any other emotion that we feel, anger can very, very quickly turn into unproductive and harmful sin. He says this, he keeps going on, he says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Anybody know somebody who's just kind of harboring some stuff, you just kind of got this thing just kind of bubbling up inside of you? you know, we know people like that, right? Verse 27, 
And he tells kind of why here. He says, do not give the devil a foothold. I don't know where you're at online and what you believe about spiritual forces and everything else, but, but we believe that there is a great source of good in this world. It's God, it's Jesus, the Holy Spirit. And if there is going to be a great source of good in this world, that means there's also going to be a great source of evil and bad and darkness in the world. And these two powers are at war against each other. And hey wake up, we're caught in the middle of that. And you get to determine which side of those things you're going to be on and which side you're going to be either going, going with God to be protected from those things or, or leaving yourself susceptible to be quietly lulled to sleep and poisoned by an enemy. And Paul is helping them understand that. He's saying anger is not just an emotion. Anger is a gateway to spiritual things happening in your life. That's why he says, and do not give the devil a foothold. Here's what you need to know. This word foothold in Greek, it's almost saying, like, don't give the devil a room. Don't give him even a crack in the door to find his way in. One of the things I found about anger in my own life, and maybe you found this to be true, is, is I think this is why Paul is warning them about this, is he knows that what starts out as a foothold can eventually turn into a stronghold. We've seen that come in our life. We've seen it even become chokeholds in some of our lives where we are just bound by anger. And the only way we can get free and get, kind of calm back down is if we put a hole in drywall or we go for a run and we just pound it out or we do these things to feel like this, we've got to release that. We've been there. But Jesus offers a better way. And I want to show you this story where he creates this intense unforeseen circumstance through his anger and I believe there are some things we can learn about it if you got a Bible go to the gospel of Matthew gospel of Matthew Matthew chapter 21 let me close to the end Matthew's the first gospel account that we have first book of the New Testament pretty easy one to find go into Matthew as you're turning there let me set up this passage a little bit I, I, you can see in there it's, it's 21 so it's close to the end of Jesus ministry this is actually five days before Jesus would go to the cross and give his life from you and me. And this is at this big, I mean big, religious festival called the Passover. This Passover festival would be this time in Jerusalem, which normally was a city where there was about 40,000 people. The city swells to about a quarter million people because people are coming from all the surrounding countryside, all the rural areas, and they're descending on Jerusalem for this festival. And at this festival, what they're celebrating is the original Passover, where the, all the Hebrew, the, the Jewish people, they took a, a lamb and, and they sacrificed a lamb and, 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 and allowed uh, God to free them from Egypt. And this is what's happening, and I, and I want you to understand something critical here, and again, helping you understand the bigger story of Scripture. This story is in all four Gospels, which any time you come across something like that, that should be your cue to go, okay, i got to pay attention to this. This is in here for a reason. It's trying to teach me something about Jesus that I need to keep my eyes open and keep my eyes on. This is what the text says. Matthew 21, 12. As Jesus entered the temple courts, he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned tables and money changers and the benches of those who were selling doves. Jesus doesn't like doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Now listen to this last verse right here. Because this one, man, those other ones, we've heard the story before. We're like, Jesus, yeah, he's flipping tables. He doesn't like money change. He doesn't like greed. He doesn't like those things. But this verse, Matthew is one of the only guys who writes this in here. And it almost seems like it doesn't fit. Because here you have angry Jesus. And then you have verse 14 Jesus. 
He says, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. See, I want you to see something here. What we see here is definitely Jesus getting angry. He's going off. He shows up. He's five days before he knows he's getting ready to go to a cross. He sees all this stuff going down here in the temple courts. And he starts flipping stuff over. He starts getting angry. And I think why this story stands so much in contrast from the Jesus that we know is because it is actually against Jesus' character and what we kind of know him as. Because over and over again, we have stories in the gospel where Jesus is healing people. He's loving people. He's standing up for people. He's, he's drawing in sand or he's spitting in sand. He's, he's healing blind people. He's preaching sermons. He's calming storms. Jesus is doing all of this stuff. And what Jesus is known as, as a characteristically loving and kind individual. None of the gospel writers say, well, and this was the seventh table that Jesus flipped over this week. And then he decided he was going to get this one too. But none of them say that. And so I want you to understand here about Jesus is he was not known for his anger. Jesus is known for his love. Not for his anger. And his followers, his followers, guys, we should not be known for our anger. We should be known less by what we are against. And we should be known more by what we are for. That was Jesus' story. That was some of what got him put on a cross. Well, this guy is for prostitutes. This guy is for tax collectors. This guy is for drunkards. This guy is for the lame. This guy is for crippled. This guy is even for Gentiles. He broke all their barriers, racial, socioeconomic, physical. He broke them all down. And they, they couldn't stand that he was for the people that did not make sense to be for. And so my goal in this, this message is not to get you to be better at flipping over tables. My goal is to get you to realize that Jesus was known for love, patience, and care. And I want you to understand that when we get angry, we are most susceptible to ruining our witness, to ruining our ability to keep bridges built between relationships. And I want you to see by the way he gets angry that there is a righteous way to get angry. Because really, when we get angry, there are three routes you can take. First route is rage. And like, you, we all know that person. Like, they're not fun to be around. They're like, look, we just spilled something. Chill. There's rage. And then there's a the person, when they get angry, they repress. And this is the bottle it down, bottle it down, bottle it down. And then they burn their work down because somebody stole their stapler. And then the third route is righteous anger. And I want you to see today in Jesus is righteous anger on display. And I believe there are a few things that we can learn about how to get angry through looking at Jesus. The first thing, if you're taking notes, you can write this down, that we can learn about Jesus and when he gets angry is that when Jesus got angry, he got angry about the wrong done to others, not just the wrong done to him. Think about Jesus for a second. If you're in the comments, you can answer yes or no to this, just based off of kind of what you think. Was Jesus ever mistreated? Did people ever talk bad about Jesus behind his back? Was Jesus misunderstood? Was Jesus marginalized? Did Jesus have people betray him? Did Jesus have people, and even in his own family, who questioned him and thought he was crazy? To put it in modern vernacular, did Jesus have haters? Unequivocally, yes. He was criticized. He was hurt. He lived a life on the fringe. He was misunderstood. Had people beat and take advantage of him. 
But what we read in the Gospels is we see that while all those things happen to Jesus, the times where we see him standing up and getting angry are not the times when he is mistreated. The times where we see him standing up, where times where we see him get most furious, are the times when other people are being mistreated. Specifically those who were not in the majority. And what I want you to see here is that is exactly what's happening in this text. I believe that's one of what fuels Jesus' anger. Now, to understand this text, I'm going to go a little bit historical. Because, again, we could be just big surface-level church, and we could just give you this big, cool thing to go off of and, and not get deep into it. But I need you to understand what's actually happening here to be able to get the real truth that is in here. All right? First of all, when you read the Bible, don't read the Bible. See it. Put it in your head. Get a, close your eyes, get a visual. If you've got to pause, the Bible is not something to get through, it's something to get inside of you. So close your eyes, get a visual. Why don't you see here, when you see the temple that Jesus is clearing out, he is not indoors, friends. The way the temple was set up, it's built on this big hill. And there was this outdoor court, big open court. And in this open court, this was a place that Gentile people could worship. Now, if you're wondering, what's a Gentile? Is that someone who's really gentle? No, that is someone who is non-Jewish. If you are not a Jew, which is everybody in here unless you're a Jew, that is the only place where you could come and worship God. And there were, Gent- there were Gentile people who were God-fearing, who loved God, who were going to worship Yahweh. But that's the only place they could do it. And it was outside. And then there was another court where Jewish women could worship God. And then there was another court where Jewish men could worship. And all of these are getting closer and closer and closer to the thing that is the centrifugal part of the temple, which is this thing called the Holy of Holies. In the Holy of Holies, the high priest, the the biggest priest in the day, he's able to go in there one time a year and slaughter a lamb, and that's supposed to be the sacrifice that covers everybody. So Jesus walks into this temple court that is the temple court where the Gentiles worship. Where the people, who all the Jewish people, they refer to the Gentiles as those Gentile dogs. Isn't it fascinating that when we want to dehumanize somebody to make it easier to be racist to them, we give them a name of an animal. Nazis did it to Jews, they said they're Jewish rats. The Jews are doing it here to the Gentiles, calling them Gentile dogs. But God had already made a place for them to worship. God God said, hey, this is where I want you to worship. But what was happening in this place where they were supposed to connect with Yahweh, their father, they were supposed to connect with God, it was turned into this place that was nothing but a big, giant store. Imagine, close your eyes and imagine you've seen pictures of uh, you know, what's happening on, on Wall Street. Like, imagine, like, the, the New York Stock Exchange. You got people running and screaming. You got the big ticker tape stuff going, all that. Imagine the Stock Exchange, but then put stock, like, little animals, livestock. Put livestock in there and everything else. And that's what's happening in this court where these people are supposed to worship and connect with God. And Jesus, a.k.a. God, is not okay with that. On top of that, what's going on here in this court is... A lot of people being charged exuberant amounts of money to then be able to connect with that said God. The religious leaders in that day and age, this Passover festival for them was a money-making machine. It allowed them to be able to have all the things that they had, to be able to do all the things that they did. But it came at the expense of people who were trying to connect with God. And so these people, imagine, you live way out in in, in the middle of nowhere, and you got to get down to Jerusalem to worship God, because you love God, you want to worship Him. Now, in order to do that, you got to do two things. It's part of their practice. 
you had to bring, one, the temple tax, the money, and then two, you had to bring an animal to sacrifice. Now, if you're traveling hundreds and hundreds of miles on foot, what's not convenient to take? More animals, all right? Your kids are the only animals you want to take with you. And on top of that, you had to keep an animal in good shape because you couldn't just bring some, like, you know, goat that you just dragged behind. You had to bring spotless lamb. You had to bring a good animal to sacrifice. And so what would happen is these people would get down into Jerusalem. And this is why Jesus is flipping over the money exchange tables because what was happening at those money exchange tables is the people who would come in and they would bring to those guys the equivalent of what they needed to pay their temple tax. And the guy would say, oh, I'm sorry. There's actually an exchange rate and an exchange fee on top of this. And so now what you're actually going to have to pay is $47.95 when they were thinking the temple tax was just going to be 14 bucks. You ever been gouged? That's what would happen. They had to exchange. They had to do that. They had no other option. But systemically, they had had to do this. On top of that, same thing was going on with the animals. How many of you ever been to like the Mercedes-Benz Dome or what was SunTrust Park now, Truist Park? And you go to the park, and like the same hot dog that at Kroger is like a dollar and seventeen cents. You go to the Benz Dome, and it's like a hundred dollars and seventeen cents. And you're like, is this a Mercedes hot dog? What is the deal here? That's the same thing that was going on. They knew that they were there. They knew that they didn't have an animal, and they had to have an animal. And so they charged them crazy amount of money for the animal. And, and, and like on the surface, it's like, oh, it's just a little bit of money. It's just business. But here's the deal. This was God's house. And God's going, this is my place. Don't make it harder for people to connect with me. Come on. So Jesus is flipping these over because people are having it made harder for them to connect with his father. The Bible says that zeal for his father's house consumed him. So he's saying, no, 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 no. We're not, we're not about this. So when we, if, if we as God's people, if we see here in Jesus getting angry, more so about how other people are being hurt than how we are being hurt, that means we got to do the same. That means i got to be less concerned about my feelings and more concerned about how other people are being hurt or being taken advantage of. i gotta, I got to get more fired up about that than I do what's been wronged and what's been done to me. The next thing that we learn from Jesus as he walks into this situation is when Jesus got angry, he flipped tables. He did not flip people. He flipped tables, but he did not flip people. See, Jesus is flipping the table because Jesus is the same guy who will fill a table full of good wine at a wedding and flip a table when things go wrong. He's saying, I'm Lord over all, and I do not like this system that you guys have created because the system is taking advantage of the less fortunate. And he comes into this moment. But what you see not happening here is you don't see Jesus hurting, wounding, and making other people feel less than. Even as he says, you're wrong. You're wrong for doing what you're doing. And what I believe is happening here, and as I thought through this passage, I was like, you know what people love? Money. You know what people don't love and will tick them off real fast, like real, real fast? Messing with their money. But Jesus comes into this system. This is a regular dude. Starts flipping over tables. Driving out animals. Doves flying everywhere. You ever ask yourself this question? This is why I was asking myself. I was reading this this week. Why didn't anybody stop him? 
You don't, and all, again, the story's in all four Gospels. You don't see anybody going, whoa, 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 brother, just hold on. What do you think you're doing? Put that table back. You don't see any of that. Here's why you don't see any of that. Zeal for his father's house consumed him. And in this moment, I believe, and this isn't Jesus doing mind control over people, but I honestly believe that this 100% God that's inside of him in this moment, some of that is on display. And there's just something in this guy's eyes that people are like, oh, snap. I don't, I don't know about that guy. That they're backing, they're backing up, they're backing up. They're like, God, something is different. And it's the same thing inside of Jesus that on a very different emotional level allowed two up-and-coming fishermen on the shores of the Sea of Galilee when he looked them in the eyes and he said, come, I will make you fishers of men. There was something in there where divinity was revealed to them in a moment and something was like, I don't know what it is, I don't know what's going on, but I got to go. And it's the same thing. It's my favorite, one of my favorite stories in the Bible because Jesus is, man, I don't know about you, but sometimes my problems are so big, I need a big, tough, mean Jesus. Anybody else like that? Like, I need, I need, I need like, I don't need Jesus holding a lamb on his shoulder looking like John Cusack. Like, sometimes I need flipping a table over Jesus. And there's a story where Jesus on the night, he's going to be betrayed. I think this is what's getting at in there in this story. Jesus is getting ready to be betrayed. Judas comes up, gives him a kiss. And then the, 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 the group, this legion of soldiers, who are the world's fittest, I mean, crossfit soldiers, the baddest military on the planet Earth, Roman soldiers, they say, are you Jesus? And he gives them three words and puts them on their butts. He says, I am he. And I think he just steps back and like watches it. And then he submits. He says, cuff me. I'm the most powerful person on this earth. You can cuff me. You can take me. I believe in that moment they saw something that made them go, flip it. What I want you to know here is that, man, we have a big propensity when we're angry to fight more to win the argument than to win relationships. Like, I just want to be right. The Bible says, and these three remain, faith, hope, and being right. That's not, that's not it. You, okay, you're somebody like, really? No. Faith, hope, and love. And again, Jesus was righteous. He, he got it right all the time. He was never wrong, but he was more known for his love than he was his ability to get it right. When people saw him, they didn't think about what he knew. They thought about how they made, or he made them feel a loving, kind, righteous Savior. Last thing I believe we can learn about Jesus is Jesus used anger to bring healing. Again, this is what we see in Matthew here. And again, this is in great contrast because you just had this Jesus. You just had Jesus speak and, and, and flip over tables and do all this stuff and people are scattering and running around they're like what in the world this is crazy and at that same power that draws people back from him i love that matthew includes that the weak overlooked diseased crippled and the most ostracized people in society as the elite back away at the zeal that he has for his father's house, it draws them in and heals them. And so our anger, let, let our anger be one that draws people to healing. I think Jesus puts the secret to being angry without sin on display here. 
I want you to see this. I, I want you to see the secret that he is showing us. Because again, we talked about it, we said it at the beginning. Be angry, do not sin. Well, that's kind of hard. Right? And why it's hard is because I believe anger is almost like you... I'm, I'm really sorry, guys. I don't know why that's doing that. I think it's because I'm sweating a lot. Let me... I think, yeah, we'll try that. It was in the back, middle of the court. It was in the middle, not in the middle of the back. Anyway, who, who cares? Don't get distracted. Not today, Satan. Let's go. Okay. Here's why. Anger is kind of like this really fine line that you've got to walk. And what is the secret in righteous anger versus anger that leads to sin has everything to do in what you add to it. Let me explain. If you take anger, I'm going to show you this in an equation. If you take anger and you add to your anger hate, you will inevitably just hurt everyone and everything around you. We, we can be angry at injustices. We can be angry at racism. We can be angry at those things. And it leads us to hate. We will only hurt more things. And the flip side of the equation is this. That's, that's, that's the world's anger. That's jacked up anger. That's how we, the world wants us to get angry. We create systems to make people angry like that, so it just makes things worse. Jesus' anger is different. He says, I'm going to allow you to be angry and add love to it. Because when you take anger and you add love, healing can happen. Get angry. Get angry. Go on. Get a little angry. Some of you could use some more anger in your life. I'm very carefully saying that. Angry about the right things. And make sure there's love added to it. Here's a great question. Before you get ready to act in anger, say, will this help people see more of who God is? Or will this help people see less of who God is? If what you're getting ready to do will make them see God for not who he really is, don't do it. If it will make him see God for the true God he is, loving, kind, compassionate, patient, all those things, do it. That very well may be something God is leading you to. Because anger plus love leads to healing. And that's ultimately what this story is about. I know it's really easy to make this story all about the temple. And we like, oh man, Jesus got angry. Jesus loved the temple. That was his daddy's house. He loved it, man. Yes, 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 yes. But I want to explain to you something here. This story is not just about brick and mortar. This story is so much bigger than Jesus caring for a building. Like, this building is great. I love the people, the generous people who funded the meal to make this building possible, to keep the lights on this building. But our faith has so much more to do than a building. And I want you, I'm going to take you back a little bit. Y'all are going to get scared because like, he's going all the way back to the Genesis. Like, sermon's supposed to be about over right now. He's going all the way back to Genesis. Stick with me, okay? I want you to understand that this is more about the temple. And you've got to understand the temple in the Bible to understand what actually is happening here. All right? Track with me. In Genesis... God was with Adam and Eve there in the garden. He walked with him, and he talked with them. I'm not going to sing. He's with them, all right? And what that is, is this thing called sanctuary. It is this divine place where divinity meets humanity, where, where the God of all creation is walking amongst his people in the way he created it to be. But what happened? We sinned. Not Adam and Eve. We, it, it, they did it. We, you would have done it too. They did it. We did it. Everybody sinned. So what God does is he puts this angel to guard the entrance to the garden. And what does he put in the angel's hand? A weapon. 
a weapon, something that would cause bloodshed. And I want you to understand the big question, the big question for creation, for us as humanity, post-garden, the big question is how are we going to find our way back? How are we going to get our way back in there? Like what that was was amazing. It was beautiful. It was awesome. You ever, I was looking at this the other day when I was reading all the way through the Bible. I don't just do that on my free time, but it was a long time ago. I don't want to make it seem like I read the Bible every week. I don't read the Bible every week. But I was reading in Genesis. And Adam, he lived to be like 500 plus years old. You know what I was thinking about? He, he him and his wife, they had to, how torturous would it have been to live 500 years knowing what it was supposed to be like? You and I, we never know. We never, we never, we are not going to know what it's supposed to be like. We're just going to find out what it's going to be like. Adam and Eve, they knew what it was supposed to be like. They lived 500 years going, dang it. Sorry, kids. Because they were asking that question in their heart. Man, how could we get back to that? How could we get back? And God, in his divine sovereignty, started working with people. They created this thing called the tabernacle. The tabernacle is this big, giant tent. And that was a place where sacrifices would happen. And again, what would have to happen is someone would take a sword, or a smaller sword, a knife, an instrument of wrath, and would cut open an animal. And the blood that was shed there as that sacrificing animal would go to cover the sins of the people. And a little bit later, some good kings came along, and they created this thing that actually was the temple. King Solomon built the most baller temple ever, gold everywhere. And that was the place where they would do all of this sacrificing. This was the place where they would come and worship God. But they had to do it, and they had to sacrifice an animal, again, with a sword, a weapon, a knife. Blood was shed, and that covered the sins. But all in all, this question still remains, how can we get back? Like, we do this thing once a year, but it's not cutting it. It, it's not like what it used to be. It's not like what it should be. And God sees that in his eternal sovereignty. And so when Jesus shows up and he walks into this temple full of all this clamor, all the crowd, he's in this moment. Josephus is, is, a, is a, a historian uh, back in the uh, antiquity times, and he was not a Christian historian, but he wrote that during the Passover festivals, up to two 150,000 lambs would be sacrificed in the Passover week. So you got to imagine, Jesus walking in, he looks at this court, uh, this court of the Gentiles, and he's seeing lamb after lamb after lamb. And he comes in, and he does this moment where he is roaring like a lion, flipping over tables. People see the Lion of Judah fully on display. And that's happening because as Jesus looks at those lambs, he realizes this system is broken. And in every lamb that he looked at, he understood that he was getting ready to, in a few short days, five short days to be exact, he was going to become the one, the only, the true sacrificial lamb. And so when he's angry in this moment, he's not just angry at people for gouging folks. He's not just angry at people charging a whole lot of money. He's not just angry at people saying, this dove is really nice. You should buy this dove. You should buy this more expensive dove. He's not just angry about those things. He's angry at the whole stinking system. He's saying, I'm not just willing to become a new sacrificial system. I'm willing and I'm coming to institute this thing called a sacrificial savior. And I am him and I am on display. And he says, I am the temple. That's why he walked up to those guys again. Jesus, this is the tough Jesus that we need sometimes. He says, they say, what authority do you have to do this? He goes, listen, calls a shot. Tear this temple down in three days, three days put it back I'll put it back 
he's telling them what's happening. He's saying, I, I'm, we don't need this place anymore. You don't need this place. You don't need a priest, some priest to come intercede on your behalf. You don't need to go to some building. I am the temple. And he says, I am coming to make a home within those who will welcome me in. Those who will leave the door cracked for me. I will blow that thing wide open. I may come in their house and flip over some tables and make some things right, but I will come in and I will make my home with them. Paul is talking about this, this reality that that now we don't have this temple. We need uh, to understand this. He's writing 1 Corinthians. He says this, 6, 19, and 20. He says, do you not know that your bodies, your bodies, that hole in your chest, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you. That's the Holy Spirit of God who is in you, whom you have received from God. I love this next part. You got to get this. You are not your own. Now, if you're not your own, friends, the bad news is that kind of means you, use, you lose your right to get angry at the things that you alone want to get angry at. If you're not your own, then you're not Lord. If you're not own, your own, then, then you're not the one who gets to say what truly is right and wrong. You have to base that off of God's sovereign word, not just the verses that you want to pick and pull, but everything cover to cover. What type of God do we serve? He says, you've been bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Can I show you guys something real cool? Y'all, got, y'all okay with me showing you something real cool? Just say yes if you're ready. I know, it's, I know it's getting late. I know y'all got kids. They're squirming and wiggling. But can I tell you something that I love that I found this week? So we're in this season of life, right, where everybody's talking about, like, end times. Like, what, what's going to happen? Like, the mark of the beast is coming. I had a cool conversation with my neighbor the other day, and I was like, well, you're blowing me away right now. Uh, like, don't put a microchip in my children. Like, all these things. Everybody's worried about the end, right? Like, what? The fire is burning everywhere. Everybody's worried about the end. I was reading the book of Revelation, and I found this verse I want to show you that brought me some hope, some encouragement this week as I think about, like, God, what he's doing, and what we have to look forward to, and this reality that, like, God himself, in flesh and bone, is living inside and working through my life and your life. This is what it says, Revelation 21, 22. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb were its temple. Now, what, you're like, okay, well, help me understand that. You said that was really cool. Let me, understand why, let me explain why that's really cool. So John, when Jesus absolute BFFs, like Jesus' best friend, he even wrote about it, says the disciple Jesus loved. That's like how he signed letters. He gets this vision of what heaven, like what eternity is going to look like. Jesus knocks him out for a little while, gives him a vision of what heaven's going to look like, helps him see this kingdom that, man, there's just something inside of us all that is longing for. He says, as I'm looking around, and again, John is a good Jew. He's up in heaven. He's looking around. He's like, yo, where's the temple? This is God's place. Why would there be no temple here? He looks, and he looks, and I'm going to take some imaginative justice here that an angel just kind of taps him on his shoulder and goes, yeah, bro, there's not one here. But you see, the Lord Almighty right there? You see his son, the Lamb of God? We don't need a building here. We got streets of gold. 
But the most important thing here in this eternal state is the reality that you have fully God inside of you. Now, you in this moment, I want you to understand this, like where you're at right now, that God is in you. If you have put your faith and your trust in him, that eternal destination is where you're heading. But if you are not, and if you have not put your faith and your trust and your hope in him, then friend, I'm sorry to break it to you, but that is not where you're heading. Everything in me, like I believe that, God, man, I believe God is doing a lot of things to wake people up, and I want him to wake us up to the reality that not like we're not just living this Christian escapism, saying I'm just so sick of being angry about things, I'm just going to sit and wait on Jesus to come back. No. Your body, your life is a place where divinity meets humanity. Your body, your life, right here, right now, it is a sanctuary place where you can talk to a loving Father who loves you and cares about you, where you can commune with a loving Father who cares about you, where you can let the Holy Spirit guide you through storms that you're going to face in your life. But friend, if you have not asked Him to come and make a home in you, then all of that is something that you're not experiencing. And I want you to. The people around your kids need you to. The people you work with, they need you to. We need you to. This world, this dark, broken, messed up, jacked up world needs you to. And the Father is longing for you to open your heart to Him and to hear you say, come and make a way back into my home where it was always created to be. And if that's you, you want to put your faith in Jesus today, I'm going to invite you just in the quietness of the room, to bow your head, close your eyes, and pray this prayer alongside of me. Jesus, I thank you for laying your life down for me. I tried to be perfect. I failed. You were perfect. And you gave your life for me. I turn away from my old life of sin trying to do it all on my own and I turn now to face you and I invite you in to to make my life a sanctuary for the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit to reside here on this earth as hopeless as sometimes it can seem until I find myself in eternity Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. In your name.